Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you don't miss a single episode. And welcome to the Football Digest podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. And wow, what a week of drama it's been in the Champions League. A week which has reminded us all how privileged we are to live in the era of Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, Messi scored a wonder goal for PSG in Paris, helping side sink Manchester City, while Ronaldo got Manchester out, Manchester United out of jail last night with Alaska winner against Villarreal at Old Trafford. Uh, what a moment that was! What is going on at Chelsea? Thomas Tuchel's men lost to Juventus and now suffered back-to-back defeats under the German. Are there no such problems though for Jurgen Klopp, who side thrashed Porto and look like genuine contenders to conquer Europe again? We'll also get some fascinating Premier League clashes this weekend. Um, before the international break, with City travelling to Anfield, the kick of those probably, while the fortunes of Mikel Arteta and Nuno Santo at Arsenal and Tottenham respectively have taken a complete turnaround in recent weeks. Um, we'll also touch on Gareth Southgate, who names his latest England squad today out of the World Cup qualifiers against Hungary and Andorra. So joining me this week, I'm glad to say, Andy Dunn, uh, fresh from his... Uh, Failed attempt by Europe stateside at the uh, Ryder Cup. He's chief sports writer of the Daily Mirror. Uh, David McDonald, Manchester Kingpin for the Daily Mirror. Hi, Dave. And uh, Matt Dunn, football aficionado at the Daily Express. Welcome along, fellas. Thanks a lot. Uh, we've got to start, I suppose, last night. Game at uh, Old Trafford. Dave, you were there. Could you just sum up for us the occasion, what it was like at the end? It looked a remarkable atmosphere. Um it felt to me like, I mean, I wasn't there, but obviously you were, but it felt like it was like turning back the clock and, you know, to all those years ago, Ronaldo used to do that on a regular basis at Old Trafford. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, it was an absolutely incredible atmosphere, you know, euphoria at the end for, for Manchester United. Uh, I mean, let's be honest, they were completely outplayed. Um, you know, Villarreal, you know, should have really been two or three goals up by the break. Um, you know, there was mitigation for, for Solskjaer and United in that, they were without three of the the first choice back four, you know, Maguire and Shaw injured and Wan-Bissaka suspended. Um, but that in itself, you know, shouldn't shouldn't excuse how poor they were in that first half. Um, and I say, you know, I mean, were it not for the heroics of David De Gea in goal, they, they would have been two or three two or three down by the break. So Alex Tellez, they've got them back on on level terms. And then, you know, Ronaldo, that's what he does. You know, I mean, you know, cometh the hour, cometh the man. You know, it was I think ninety. Four and a half minutes, you know, on on the clock, you know, thirty seconds to go in added time, uh, and I think Solskjaer, to, to, I mean, look, is he's been criticised recently. He was under a lot of pressure last night. You know, they lost to young boys in the opening game. They lost to West Ham at home in the Carabao Cup. They lost to Villa at home in the Premier League. So there was a huge amount of pressure on him, uh, and so in that in that sense, Ronaldo's kind of dug him out with that goal. But I think Solskjaer deserves a little bit of credit, you know, not a huge amount because you know, let's be honest, they were outplayed and got out of jail last night. But the changes he made, he's often criticised, certainly in the Europa League final, for making changes too late against young boys. He was criticised for bringing Fernandez and Ronaldo off. But I thought last night, um, maybe through luck or by judgment, he got them right. Um, you know, Fred, in the much maligned Fred, played a part in the goals. His cross to Ronaldo, who nodded it down to Lingard, who was another substitute. Uh, who then laid it off to Ronaldo um, to, to score the winner? So, yeah, they got out of jail, but but those kind of occasions can almost you know spark a kind of revival. They can almost be a catalyst. You know, United haven't been playing well recently. You know, were it not for a De Gea penalty save against West Ham, you know, they would have been in you know even further behind in the Premier League. So, yeah, you know, they needed that win. They needed that 
it's not like the manner of the wind could actually, you know, as I say, jolt them into life and maybe prove the catalyst that the season go on a decent run. You know, they've got Everton on uh, on on Saturday lunchtime at Old Trafford, and I know Everton have had quite a few injuries. I don't know who's back for them, whether Richarlison, Calvert Lewin, and others are back. And um, but that'll be another test for them, you know. But they they need to go on a run now, and they need to start um, showing some kind of consistency and, and, and form because if they don't, the pressure will be back on Solskjaer. Uh, and really, I don't think last night. Well, certainly, it won't leave the pressure on Solskjaer, but no one in that stadium, not even United fans, will be forward into thinking that they deserved to win last night. You know, yeah, it was a great, a great, dramatic finale. Uh, Ronaldo does what Ronaldo does. You know, Messi did it on the night before, and his great rival Ronaldo stepped up to the plate. You know, the following night, twenty-four hours later. But there are still problems at Manchester United that that won't be airbrushed or won't go away just because of Ronaldo's late winner last night. Andy. Um... That was Ronaldo's 178th Champions League appearance last night, so he's now the all-time record holder for appearances. And he comes up with a late goal five minutes into stoppage time. It's almost like he continues to write his own scripts, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. I mean, yeah, you know, it, it, it was a, it was a, you know, a storybook ending. Um, I, I actually think the keeper probably should have saved it, to be perfectly honest with you. And uh, I also think that Ronaldo had a, had a, a generally poor game. Uh, in keeping with United's performance, you know, so a uh, like Dave's saying, don't 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 let don't let that result gloss over last night. Don't let Ronaldo's late goal sort of um, sugarcoat what was, you know, a really poor performance. You know, Villarreal looked far the better side. Far the, you you looked at Villarreal and you could see they were organised. You could see what they were trying to do. You could see their tactics. You could see their discipline. You could see the way they were organised. You couldn't see that with United, and you couldn't see that with Ronaldo. I mean, they listen, okay, so he, so he's, he's knocked one in the far post late on. You know that can happen, um, but you know I, I don't think his or United's performance should should take away from the fact that Villarreal were, were by far the better team, by far the, the slicker team. They knew what they were doing, and I just think that in a way, you know, the Ronaldo. Well, I wouldn't call it a sideshow, but you know the the, the Ronaldo storyline is taking away from the fact that you look at United and you just have not got any sort of um, idea of how they're going to play. You know, you look at Chelsea or City or Liverpool, and you know the way they're going to play. It might not come off like it didn't with City in Paris on Tuesday, um, like it probably didn't with Liverpool at Brentford, um, like it did with Chelsea against Juve, but you know the way they're going to play. You know the style they're going to play. You know you, you know the tactics, you know their sort of, um, their general way of playing. You don't know that with United. And in the end, they have to rely on, you know, a, I agree, a well-worked free kick, but, you know, a freakish sort of goal. And then one late on, it has just sort of come to him and, and he's, he's squeezing in the far post, you know. So I wouldn't I wouldn't go, I, I wouldn't go big on the Ronaldo um Fairy tale line. Andy, do you, do you just one more thing on this? Do you think that when you looked at those two teams last night, would it be fair to say you looked at one team that looked really well coached, and the other team that probably didn't look well coached, just looked like a team of individuals just thrown together, sort of thing? Is that is that unfair? No, no, that's 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 not unfair, and I think that that is the big talking point. I think that is the that is the crux of the matter. Is that is you know, as in, in terms of in terms of his. Um, his coaching ability in terms of setting up a team to play in a distinctive manner, it, you know, the Solskjaer way, we know the Marino way, we know the Tuchel way, we certainly know the Jurgen Klopp way, by the, you know, I mean, absolutely know the way he, he, he's going to play. 
do we do we say, oh, well, that's a Solskjaer team? We know that's a Marino team, for example, when he plays. We know that, um, whether for good or bad. We know that's a Klopp team. We know that's a Guardiola team. We've come to know that it's a Tuchel team. Do we know it's a Solskjaer team? I don't think we do yet. Matt, do you think the Ronaldo, like Andy referred to as a, as a sideshow, do you think that he's, I mean, he's scored five goals in five um, games this season since he came back. Do you think that's just masking some, some sort of quite significant problems United have in terms of them being or trying to get to the same level as those, those around them in, in the title race, like Liverpool, City and Chelsea? I don't think sideshow is the right word for it. Ronaldo's becoming the main event. They're becoming the Cristiano Ronaldo team, Manchester United, because they've got so little shape, so little identity apart from give it to Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, And what worries me is um, every time he scores, uh, the TV cameras immediately cut to the stands where they see this smiling, beneficent uncle of a figure, Sir Alex Ferguson, genial and smiling. Uh, and there's a whole generation of Manchester United fans who think that that's what Sir Alex Ferguson's like. He's helping this along by being a big part of the narrative, being the one who make who he's allowed it to become public that that he was a key figure between behind getting him back. And, you know, he's also the man who always told us from when he got rid of Kanchelskis and Hughes and replaced them with kids um, and when he, um, you know, with the football boot incidents with David Beckham, that the the club's always bigger than any one man. I don't know if Manchester United, if this carries on, will remain bigger than Cristiano Ronaldo. And I think Ronaldo could overtake this club. Um, uh, And, you know, not never permanently because it is a massive club, but in this period, under Solskjaer's United certainly could get swallowed up by this whole Ronaldo, um, this whole Ronaldo machine, uh, and I don't know if that if that's good for the long term club. Um, I, I'd be slightly nervous about that because I, I wonder where that was going. Uh, that, that, if I just come in, here, that, 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 that that's interesting. You bring that that up. I think that's that's a really interesting uh, point. I, I remember um, a few weeks back, and there, there was a. There was a dinner, wasn't there, David, in Manchester where there was Sir Alex Ferguson, David Gill, um, Richard Arnold, I think, um, Edward would acknowledge Gunnar Solskjaer. And you thought to yourself, like, you know, it's almost as though, I don't, and you thought who was the junior partner in that in that dinner. It's almost like, you know, I mean, Fergie all of a sudden, well, not all of a sudden, but it, it, with his input in the Ronaldo deal, and, you know, we're talking about he's gone, we're talking about, you know, people always said that when him, and David Gill went, you know, that was the double the double whammy to a certain extent. And now they, they they both seem to be, even though, you know, they're not, you know, in official roles, sort of like back there, sort of like looming, looming large again. It's an interesting sort of dynamic. And Solskjaer almost is, I don't know, he's, he, he's sort of, you know, he should be the main man, Solskjaer, but he's not the main man. I remember as well, Solskjaer, for, for, for a long time when he became manager, refused to park in the manager's spot he always thought yeah. it was the boss's spot. I mean, what's all that about? I mean, I think I think there is an argument, and, and it falls on from, from that point, that, you know, and, it's, and I think it's a legitimate question, you know, has Solskjaer taken this Manchester United team as far as he can? I, I know that sounds a bit simplistic, but, you know, he has stabilised them, he, you know, after the, the sort of chaos of, of, of Mourinho and the kind of acrimony and the fallout from, from his departure. You know, season on season, they have progressed. You know, in, in his first full season, they finished third, last year second. But has he got the, the acumen? Has he got the, the that elite coaching ability and, and, and that, you know, um, now to take them in Premier League titles, winning, competing for the Champions League? 
can he stand toe to toe with Tuchel, with Guardiola, with Klopp? Uh, you know, the, the, the best managers in Europe. I'm not so sure. And I think there's a lot of United fans who, you know, someone was saying, you know, a team doesn't have to be, you know, in absolute chaos and down in seventh or eighth position in the Premier League to warrant a managerial change. You can, and it would be a bold call from Manchester United. And while I don't think they're even entertaining at the moment by any stretch, but I think it's an interesting point that, you know, at some stage they have to confront the, the, the fact that are Manchester, Manchester United sort of treading water with Solskjaer uh, and potentially regressing, you know, have they hit a ceiling with him? And I think that's a very legitimate question. Um, and I think the next few weeks, months, perhaps the turn of the year, you know, um, we'll find out the answer to that. And remember, David, um, Chelsea showed last season you'd replace your nice, affable former player uh, yeah. with a proper tactician and a proper coach. And, you know, the world's your oyster, or certainly Europe. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I just think it's a very interesting point, and it's one they're going to, the United board are going to have to confront at some some stage because I don't see United, you know, on the evidence of this season so far domestically and in Europe, don't see them challenging for the two prizes that they're desperate to win, um, and that's going to have to be a, a situation they're going to have to confront at some stage. Dave, can I just ask you? It's not been a great week for um, the Manchester clubs. I was in Paris on Tuesday night to see. Um, City beaten 2-0 by PSG. Obviously, Messi scored his first goal um, since joining them. It sort of felt like a bit of a watershed moment for Messi in terms of, I know it sounds a crazy thing to say, but, you know, he's got his first goal. Yeah. Pressure, pressure on him's lifted a little bit. Um, it's obviously a big change from he spent his whole, whole life at Barcelona. Did, did it feel like that way to you? Like he's sort of, this could sort of, Give him the spur now to go on and dominate games for them like he did for Barcelona for years and years. Yeah, I think he himself said, didn't he? He was desperate to get that that first goal. I mean, I think he only played about 180 minutes, you know, for PSG but before Tuesday night. So um, you know, he was obviously getting up to speed. But I mean it was a classic messy goal, wasn't it? The the you know, the ability or the you know, the willingness of defenders to stand off him. I think that's what will have really, you know, annoyed Guardiola. Um, for, for Messi's goal, and I think that if you go if you go back in before Messi got the ball, you look at Verratti picking the ball up outside his own area, and the whole of the City midfield just stood off him and gave him time to consider his options. And he picked out Messi with a, a beautiful pass out to the right, and then of course Messi does what he does. You know, he he, he sort of torments defenders, runs at them, and Laporte. I don't know what he was doing, but you know, you know, almost inviting Messi to shoot with his left foot, inviting him on. You know, when really he should be showing him onto the other side. It's just real defensive naivety that um, but yeah I mean I thought City actually played quite well there was a spell wasn't there I think in the first half and maybe in the second half when they were on top uh, and, and, and PSG defended superbly um, but yeah look, I mean Man, Man City are you know um, got the final last year they are, they are it's the competition they crave the most under Guardiola but I think they've still got a lot of growing up to do in, in, in Europe you know I think that that result and that performance against PSG showed just 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 how far short they are at the moment still in Europe. Um, I still expect them to go through. I think, you know, PSG and City are the favourites to go through and I don't see that changing. Um, but I think it was a bit of a uh, reality check for, for Manchester City, you know, having beaten PSG to get the final last year. Um, I think this showed them just how far they've still got to go if they want to win that trophy. Andy, Guardiola was quite upbeat afterwards. I mean, City, to be fair, they, they did have a lot of the ball and... Mm. You know, they could have equalised, well, they should have equalised. Bernardo, Silva and Sterling both missed two really, really good chances before half-time. Um, is he right to still be upbeat after a result like that? I mean, how significant is it? I mean, it's the group game at the end of the day, so you'd fully expect these two to be to be maybe colliding again further down the line. Do you think we're 
it's too soon to sort of be judging City on their European credentials after that. Um, yeah, I, I do. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I didn't see. I, I don't think you can. You know, I thought they played quite well. To be fair, I thought it was a good game. You know, listen, PSG are an extremely, you know, goes without saying, an extremely good squad of players. You only have to look at the players that they actually, you know, brought on uh, when they needed to. You only have to look at the. I mean, I mean, their personnel is, is outstanding. You know, the goalkeeper is fantastic, and then right through, right through the team, they are they are absolutely brilliant collection of players so the, the, and I thought City played well I thought they were they were you know they had the upper hand for most of the time I think in terms of you know on the ball possession wise um, you know they lacked a bit of a cutting edge which 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 we know they can do in certain games and they were undone by two very good goals I know I know what Dave is saying about, about about the defender for that goal but you know it was a good goal I mean it was a really good goal a good finish good goal and I think at times like that you know you just have to so hold your hands up and say, "Listen, it wasn't quite our night. We did, we did, we did okay, um, and, and we'll come again." You know, I, I also agree. You know, I mean, the group stages, you would, you know, you wouldn't bet against City and PSG going through um, in the same way that you can normally name the top two in every group, and that would probably pan out. Um, but I don't think I think Guardiola's right to be upbeat. You know, I, I, I really do. I, I don't see any. A- any real shame in in losing the way they did, you know. I just thought I thought, just thought they were. It was a game of football that went Paris Saint Germain's way, could have gone City's way, and you know, two teams who probably deserve to be number one, number two, whichever way you look at it in the in the bookmakers' odds for the Champions League. If Messi starts playing like we know he can and settles down and adjusts to his new team, it's obviously going to take him a while. So it's going to be a big sort of upheaval for him, but. With Mbappe and Neymar up front, I mean, could this could this be their year when they finally sort of crack crack Europe and win? Win? win I don't know. I, I think they're a little bit. You know, a team like I think a team like, and we say they've done before, like Liverpool, will cause them major problems. You know, I think someone with a a real intensity, a real sort of, um, you know, a real sort of, I don't know high-pressing, sort of gung-ho sort of attitude about them might cause them problems. I still think that, you know, you've got those three in your team and then, you know, immediately I I think, well, what else do they, it sounds ridiculous, but what else do they, you know, apart from being world-class players, what else do they contribute? And I'm not sure, you know, I, I mean, I look at those three and I think, you know, it's, they are three fantastic individuals. As, as uh, in terms of the team ethic, if you know what I mean, say, for example, you look at, um, say Mane, Salah, and Firmino, and I think in terms of the team ethic and the way they defend from the top, you know, you, you, you're almost just like you know trying to find a fault where there might not be one. But I just think that that might, you know, that that might be a weakness in the in the they're fantastic going forward. Mbappe, Neymar, and Messi. But overall, you know, in the modern game. You, you need your your three top men also to do to do the dirty work. I'm not sure they, they will. I've got to say, yeah, we right. there in Paris the other night. There was not, was not a lot of tracking back from those three. I've got to say, no, but it's not going to be, is it? But, but I think as, as Andy says, uh, uh, Jeremy, that you know, that's probably why Pochettino plays effectively three holding midfielders, doesn't he? Yeah. In, yeah. in, in Verratti um, uh, uh, and Herrera and, oh, yeah. and just a, a guy because. He knows that they are going to track back Neymar, Messi, oh. you know, Mbappe. You know, despite the pace that Mbappe's got, he's not. You know, he hasn't got that defensive. He's not naturally defensive-minded. He hasn't got that instinct. So, um, it, it, it's a strange sort of setup, isn't it? Because normally teams will play with one holding midfielder, 
possibly two, but certainly not three. I know Verratti can get, get about the pitch. Um, but I think, yeah, that, 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 that might see them come unstuck in terms of um, you know, when, they, when they face the likes of Liverpool. You know, yeah. potentially. Yeah. Um, Verratti was excellent, actually. I gave him man of the match. I know there are other players that stole their line, but Verratti really is a top, top player. Superb. Matt, Matt, Chelsea, um, your specialist subject. Um, back-to-back defeats, the lost 1-0 in Turin. I know Juventus are... So I still regard as a powerhouse in Europe, but they've been struggling in um, in Syria this season. So that that result was a bit of a shock shock to me. I don't know if you agree, but I fully expected Chelsea to do a job last night and win the game. Um, what what? There's been some suggestions that Tuchel got his tactics wrong last night. Didn't pick one English player in the starting eleven. Brought five English players on when things weren't going how he thought they were. What um, what did you make of it? Yeah, two chill out, isn't it? It's clear, it's simple. Two two defeats in a row. Um, Chelsea, um, the, I think they were the, the better team last night. Um, they, if a different day, Lukaku, if they could get their headers on target, especially from set pieces, they win that game comfortably. It's one of those where they've had an off day. They missed Kante. Um, the, the, the English thing is a bit of a... You know, it's a bit of a sidetrack, but you know, some of them, the the you know, Mount obviously couldn't play. Um, they came on and, and then refreshingly, you know, Loftus Cheek, you know, all, all these Callum Hudson Adoy all look bright coming on, which is easy to do against a tiring team. Um, if it wasn't for someone like Cellini again, who is just an incredible figure, they probably would have scored more. Uh, and, and I think to talk about a crisis at Chelsea or any sort of worries at Chelsea on the back of that result it is a little bit premature. Um, yeah, it was an off day. They didn't do what they needed to do uh, and they need to lift it again um, at the weekend and get back on track. But but yeah, it's going to happen during a season. Um, you know, you're going to have a couple of uh, of dud results uh, and that's the thing with the Champions League is you can ride them um, you know it, it wasn't the end of the world and yeah and any other night Chelsea might have won that so I don't know if about about getting tactics wrong I think I think he would have played the game differently if Kante had been available to him um, but it's not difficult at Chelsea. You you set up your holding midfielders, you stick Lukaku at the top and that back three pretty much stops goals every week. You know, you're not, it's not rocket science. He's, he's found his system and... They were second and, best though against Man City last weekend, weren't they? Um, yeah, they were. Yeah, they were. But but again, that's that's the first time that's happened in four four clashes with Guardiola since he's come in. Um, and and I think, and I, I'll be, be honest, I think part of that was that there was a little nervousness that it was Chelsea's to lose that game. And I thought on that game specifically, and it really interested me, the first comment on the telly in the quotes uh, from uh, Pep Guardiola, uh, he's talking about, uh, described Chelsea as the kings of the Champions League. And I think he's a little bit sick of being told over the summer how much, how they're brilliant and City are rubbish. And I think he's been telling his players how, you know, this is their opportunity to show, you know, who are the real, the the really strong team, the best team, the kings of of Europe. Uh, and, and I think he's got into his players because City played above themselves, I think, which is as partly uh, why Chelsea suffered as a result. Um, in the same way as Chelsea did a number on, on City uh, back in Porto. Um, so, yeah, I, again, that's a one-off. And it is difficult to be fired up for every single game. Uh, and, I, and I think... Yeah, City were more up for that game than Chelsea were. Uh, and like last night, Chelsea weren't still 
quite on it, missing a few key players, missing a few key headers. Uh, and, you know, if they get back on it again at the weekend, then you just, you know, you forget all about that and move on. Dave, Liverpool, no, no, no problems for, uh, for Klopp right now. Um, Liverpool are flying in Europe. They absolutely hammered uh, Porto um, this week, 5-1, um, with a real performance of pace and energy and precision. Um, what did you what did you make of them? They look they look really back at back to the best, don't they? Yeah, they do. I mean, they you know they had that blip last season. You know, obviously yeah, it's well documented the injury to Virgil Van Dijk um, really threw them. Um, he's back now. They look stronger. Um, and I think also you know Curtis Jones has has, has, has been a bit of a revelation for them. It's, we know what Salah can do, and Salah's doing it now. You know, week in week out and scoring goals. You know, and 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 back to his best, but. I thought Curtis Jones in particular has been very impressive. I haven't seen a huge, huge um, uh, amount of him, but you know, he's coming to that side. Obviously, injuries to Thiago, um, you know, to Harvey Elliott, to um, uh, Cater as well have, have opened the door to him. Um, but I thought he was excellent. I think he was involved, if I'm right, in all five goals. Four uh, out of five, yeah. Four out of five, yeah, against Porto. Um, and he's only 20 years old. I mean, and, and for him to be able to hold down a place in that that Liverpool team with the standard that that, that that's required to play under Klopp and the, and the intensity and the pressing and everything that's to, that's asked of you as a player, I think, um, is, a, is a great reflection on him. So, yeah, I mean, look, I fully expect um, uh, Liverpool to be in the mix for the title, fully expect him to, you know, go, go into the last stages of the Champions League. Um, and, yeah, they, they, they do appear to be back back on form after, after last season's blip. Andy, are you joining Dave in the um, Curtis Jones fan club? Yeah, it, it's an interesting... It's interesting the way it's developed this season, is it? Because you know, I mean, he's got his chance, but early on, earlier in the season, you know, Kent Jones was like obviously a very, very important figure last season. But it seemed that that, that you know the cloth didn't think he kicked on, and and he wasn't particularly involved early on, you know. And, and as David said, he's got his chance through um, through players dropping out injured, and he, and he sees his chance. I think he's a great player. I love him. I like him a lot. You know, um, I think. You know, he's obviously had some temperamental issues. You know, um, but I, 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 I'm, I'm really intrigued by the way Klopp's handled him. I mean, Klopp's clearly sort of, you know, um, how shall I put it? He, he, he didn't quite buy into the, you know, all, all the hype, whatever. You know, he liked him, and then, and then basically benched him. I don't think he was even in a couple of the squads at the start of the season, which surprised a lot of Liverpool fans. You know, they love him. You know, local lad. Um, you know, um, done brilliantly for them, and now he's brought him in, and, and he, he was outstanding the other night. So yeah, I'm, I'm a massive fan of his. I'm, I'm a really, really big fan of his. But I'm really intrigued that the Klopp, you know, wasn't quite as sort of bullish about him early in the season as, as maybe we, we all we all thought he should be. But yeah, I think he's a great player. I really do, and I think you know he, he, he's got the sort of you know the whole sort of. Um, He's an identical Liverpool player from the area. You know, he, 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 I mean, dare you say it, he's got the the potential to be, you know, a, a Gerard, a Carragher, an Alexander-Arnold. He's got the potential to do that. And, of course, it really does lift the club when you've got players like that. It lifts the fans. The fans have an, an extra edge when they've got a kid who's come through the ranks and a kid who's from down the road. And he's got that. And I just think the club will be very conscious that he has to manage him well. Do you think, that, Andy? Do you think that Klopp's the way he's handled him is almost like to get a reaction out of him to sort of? I do. 
to say, look, you know, you're not just going to walk into this team. You've got to show me week in, week out what you can do. And yeah. it's almost been vindicated with his performances yeah. since then. I really do. I, I really do. Listen, he's a confident boy. Let's put it that way. He's a very, very confident boy. Um, and, and I do think there's, there will be an element of that is, is that, you, you know what, you know, you, you've just got to be, you know, it, it was a shot across his bowels, for example, that the Harvey Elliott, a couple of years, his junior, who was on loan to the champion in the championship last season, you know, was, was, was first choice. Yeah. You know, and that would have been, you know, that, that would have been, you know, if you're, if you've been Curtis Jones and you've been, you know, ahead of him in the pecking order, you've seen him go out on loan, you're, you're, you're playing every other game. That would have been, you know, a wake up call. And it's clearly worked, you know, as it happens, he's got his chance maybe because there are people sort of like unavailable and he's taken it well, but I think he's a fantastic player. I really do. Matt, that 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 thumping win for Liverpool uh, in Portugal this week, it, it sort of really sees them heading into Sunday's clash with Man City in, in, in good in, in good spirits. Um, how do you see that game panning out? Because it's probably one of the defining games of the season, isn't it? I, I think it's more defining for for Liverpool. Uh, they need to show that they are still title contenders. This is a great opportunity for them to do that. Um, you know, it's easy to write them off after last season's dip, but they, they did win the title the year before and they um, and they competed with City so close, the only team to be able to do that uh, before that. If Virgil van Dijk makes a difference over a season, that's great. It seems like they've got the, a certain amount of momentum back again. Um, uh, and this is a chance. They, they need to go They go up against City and say, yeah, we're here. We're, we're in it. You know, yeah, we're in it to win it. And, uh, and yeah, uh, and really make that marker. City, on the other hand, did their hard work last week. Um, they can afford to slip and still sort of be in the mix a little bit. But but no, it's a really important one for Liverpool. Dave, Liverpool are unbeaten this season in all competitions. Does that make them favourites going into Sunday? Yeah, I think it does. I think, I think it does. And, and at, at Anfield, you know, you, you would always back Liverpool. I mean, I think was it last season, City won for the first time in 18 years. I think it was since 2003, they won 4-1. I mean, that was a real statement. Um, win statement performance from, from Manchester City because they've always struggled there. Um, I think, yeah, 2003, go back to when Anelka was playing and he scored a late winner uh, there. So it's a ground where they've struggled. Um, you know, Liverpool are traditionally strong there. Um, it'll be different, obviously, with fans back in the stadium now. Um, you know, I think that was a major factor last season. I think, you know, some teams struggle more than others with, with, with the absence of fans. I think Liverpool, one of those sides that, that sort of, you know, felt it very keenly. Um, um, you know, as well as all the injuries and issues they had in terms of you know players not being available, so I think it'll be a different dynamic for Manchester City. Um, that, that they certainly won't run out four-one winners this time. Um, and I think, yeah, I think Liverpool will start as favourites. I think you have to back them. They're at home. They're they're unbeaten. They're you know they're they just come off the back of a five-one win in in midweek in uh, in Europe. City on the back of a two-nil defeat. Okay, they, they played well as we said, and yeah, they shouldn't be too downhearted um, um, with. The performance, but I, I would give Liverpool the edge, um, and I think as Matt just said, you know, yeah, City will always be up for it. The, the mentality and the, mm. the, the, the demands that Guardiola places on the players doesn't mean they'll see it as a free hit, 
no, you know, not not at all. But I do think that Liverpool will have the edge and, and probably be too strong for City on on uh, on this weekend. Andy, City obviously they've got a, a significant win at Chelsea last weekend. If they don't follow that up with another positive result, Anfield, I think that 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 win at Stamford Bridge last week will feel a bit a bit meaningless. Well, <laughs> it, 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 on the other hand, you could say it'll be even more important because if you'd have said. If you'd have said, say, for example, City go to Stamford Bridge and Anfield and draw both games and come away with two points, you'd say that's probably a good return, as, as they've got three points already. Um, I know you'd be di- denying the other team three points. So I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of, in a way, with David there, in the sense that, like, you know, maybe it takes a little bit of the pressure off them. I'm not sure. You know, I, I don't think it will be a as I saw a hammer blow if they get beat at Anfield on on Sunday. Um, and you know they, they, they will they they will still be in the mix. I think City's you know I mean the Southampton results apart, City's forte over the last few seasons has been the fact that they put away the teams they should put away. You know they generally do that better than say United do or better than Chelsea do or. Well, Liverpool have done as well, but you know they didn't do last season. They generally put away the teams they should put away, and you know they may struggle against teams of uh, you know in the big six, what used to be, and now the big four. So, no, I think a little bit of the pressure's off them. I, I, you know, I, I don't think. I just expect a really, really good game. I, I, I really expect. I expect Liverpool to win because of all the teams that I've seen this season so far, Liverpool to me. You know, I've been the most impressive I've seen, to be perfectly honest. You know, I, I just think they're back to, again, it's a huge important point that they makes about the fans. You know, I was there for the um, the Milan game in, in the Champions League. And literally, for the first 20 minutes, the supporters, you know, I mean, the place was absolutely electric. I'm not a big one for us. So I was like, oh, yeah, you know, the crowd can lift you. You can suck the ball in the net, all this sort of stuff. But at Anfield, you know, I, and again, I'm not one for over-romanticising Sort of Anfield, far from it, but it's. I mean, I mean, it does give them that that, that lift. I mean, you can expect the first twenty minutes on on on. And we, by the way, we've seen it before against City. You know, when City come and Liverpool have a a twenty minute start when they're absolutely flying. So I think that's important. I think I think that will give them an extra few points this season. And I also think they've got the best player in the league. I mean, you know, Mohamed Salah is playing absolutely. He's at his peak. He is absolutely unstoppable, and I think that you know we can talk all we want about Ronaldo and 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 whoever else, but you know Salah is the best player in the Premier League at the moment by some distance, and that's going to be you know a huge huge asset for Liverpool. But is it not a slight concern from Klopp's point of view that they conceded three goals at Brentford last weekend? Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, he's going to be hating that, um, and. Uh... Uh, again, it, it's one of the. Although having said that, yeah, you know, I like the way Brentford play, and I think there are a few people are going to get caught out down there um, with unexpected goals going in and all the rest of it. But it, but it's a sign. It's a difficult one because it's one of those they're on a hiding to nothing. Liverpool are expected to win. It's a weird Friday night kickoff. Um, it, yeah, they, they weren't quite on it as they should have been. And, you know, you need those reminders occasionally and you hope you don't pay for them as it did. It cost them two points. Uh, and, yeah, Klopp will be furious, but but I imagine uh, action will have been taken or a few reminders, you know, lit under people's backsides. And, and you know, you go again. There's no way that Liverpool won't be on it 100% against, against City and perhaps... 
perhaps a little bit of complacency did kick in, but uh, but yeah, the club. Best club, game of the season uh, so far. Best what? Sorry. Best game of the season so far, probably. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it has to be really, doesn't it? Yeah, I can't think of it in the Premier League anyway. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Dave. Well, Liverpool. I, I mean, Liverpool Chelsea was was a decent game until obviously the sending off, and it'll be interesting how how Guardiola set up. Really, you know, in terms of whether he is going to set up to try and sort of negate Liverpool's um, sort of high octane game, or whether they're going to go for it as well. I, I, I think it'll be fascinating. The meeting between these these two teams is always fascinating. I, I just think that what Guardiola will be looking at and thinking. As that Brentford game that you just mentioned, and thinking, well, hang on a minute, like, you know, has as you know, it will take a fair while. You know, Van Dijk was out for the best part of the season. I think he was injured in October of last season, wasn't he? And you know, he, he's still settling back in. You know, there's still no defined partnership at the centre of Liverpool's defence. You know, so I think he might be thinking, well, we can get at them, but on on the on the counter to that. You know, he's he's got to try and sort of keep Salah quiet, keep Mane quiet, and you know, Liverpool look like they got goals them all the time. So in that sense, it should be an absolutely fascinating game. Dave, when you when you when you play Everton this weekend, that also feels like a really big game, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, go on, yeah, no, huge game. I think we touched on it earlier on. You know, um, yeah. Potentially, what impact that, that win last night and the manner of that win, you know, the late Ronaldo goal can have on Manchester United in terms of being a catalyst to kind of you know, spark them into the form that, that they that they they know they need to you know find if, they, if they're going to make any kind of challenge for the Premier League title. Um, I, I don't know what the Everton injury situation is like. I know they were without Cavalloon, weren't they, and uh, Richarlison and Johnson. Yes, I mean, yeah. You know, I think a lot depends on. Um, you know, uh, how many players are back for Everton, but you'd expect Manchester United at home to win. But look, you know, we say, we say that, you never know which Manchester United are going to turn up. You know, they turned on the style against Leeds, they did it against Newcastle, uh, and then they, they they faltered against Aston Villa, who were fantastic and fully deserving of the win. And again, yeah. you know, we touched on it earlier on, Villarreal should have won last night. No question about that, you know. Um, so it, it's a massive game of Solskjaer going into the international break. You know, he is still under pressure. Um, and you know they need a statement performance. You know they need to play play with that swagger that he talks about it. Solskjaer all the time about the DNA of the club, and you know, and and, and there's, a, there's a, a tradition here to play a certain way. Well, they're, they're not adhering to that tradition at the moment. You know, if anything, they're, they're going against that tradition. Um, and if anything, Solskjaer's team selections. Okay, last night was a bit of a departure from that, and it backfired. But he's constantly playing. This is what annoys a lot of United fans, many many United fans. Is this reliance on two holding midfielders? You know, he plays with Fred and McTominay are his, his kind of go-to go-to players there. And you know, the the, the feeling is when you're playing us, with all due respect to Aston Villa, but but teams that that ill, you shouldn't need to play with two defensive midfielders. You should take the game to them. You know, have one guy anchoring the midfield, you know, the fulcrum, and and allow you know because they've got so many attacking options in Manchester United, so much talent within that squad, and I don't think. Solskjaer is utilising it or harnessing it in the, in the right way. So it'll be interesting to see what team he selects. Obviously, Maguire's going to be out. It looks like Shaw will be out as well. Um, Wamasaka obviously, is suspended um, you know, in, in European um, in the Champions League, so he'll be back. Um, so there'll be a bit more stability defensively. But I just think Manchester United, they, they need a statement when they need to be yeah. winning comfortably and, and, and really send out a message 
uh, to kind of ease that pressure on Solskjaer because it's not going away. You know, no, no one has been fooled by that that result the other night. So I think it's a massive game for him and for Manchester United. Yeah. Andy, what do you what have you made of Benitez's impact at Everton this season? He's made a pretty good start, hasn't he? Yeah, a good start. You know, you know, they, they were they, they were um, mitigating circumstances for the defeat of Villa in the fact that they had so many injuries. Again, I'm not sure how many are back for this weekend, and he's had a positive impact. Listen, I I, I, I hold my hands up. I, I was like, you know, not particularly sort of enamoured by the appointment in the sense that. One, I think you can't get away from his previous connections, and I think that's part of football. You know, tribalism is part of football, and and if Everton fans are are concerned about having someone who is so so um, associated with the rival club in the city, then I've got no problem with that. That's what football is all about. But 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 probably of a greater concern was the the fact that you know I, 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 th- I thought that maybe he was um, well, Doctor Fortune. To find a point on it, a bit of a busted flush, you, you know. I mean, he's at Newcastle, he did okay. Then he went to China, did nothing in China, and then comes back. You know, hasn't really stayed anywhere for a serious amount of time over the last, you know, well, basically since he left Liverpool. You know, he's had a lot of clubs and and for not not amounts of time. And I thought Everton needed a manager who was, you know, younger, going to be there for the project. Having said all that, everyone I speak to at Everton behind the scenes is is, is absolutely blown away by him. I mean, I'm extremely impressed by him. So, you know, I, I can only relate that, that, you know, his, his hard work, his, um, his discipline, the way he goes about things. Um, I, I'm hearing nothing but good things, to be honest with you, behind the scenes, as I say. Um, and, and they've had a decent start. You know, they have had a decent start. I, I, again, you know, mitigating circumstances for the Villa defeat. But apart from that, Positive, you know, and with everyone playing when 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 the injured players come back, then you know, and I think they'll give United a good game. Just quickly on, on what, what, what about United? You know, they do need some sort of performance because you know what, out the Newcastle game, which they won comfortably in the end, for long periods of that game, it was pretty much you know Newcastle looked dangerous every time they went forward. Yeah, I was at the Wolves game away. How on earth they won that game one 0 I will never know. You know, Wolves were 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 again in the same with the Villarreal where. The better side. I mean, you may say, well, that's a pan developing. You know, the, 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 there's an art of winning games, not being a better side, possibly. But they they need a performance. But going back to Everton, I think they will they, they will go there and they'll fancy the chances. You know, depending on who they've got back. And in answer to your question about Benitez, all I can relate to, all I can relay is that Everton fans are are very encouraged so far. Matt, um, Arsenal. Not too long ago, they were bottom of the table. They are now <laughs> above Tottenham in the table, and they've won four straight games. What everything in the garden appears rosy again. Would you would you go along with that? Um, yeah, I agree. It does appear rosy. Whether or not the uh, the roots are fully formed is another matter to add to your metaphor. Um, uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. There seemed to be something about the team in the North London Derby that suggested that this kind of family unit that Artes has been building behind the scenes scenes has some sort of, some sort of uh, justification. Um, Albama Yang seemed to be on board and he hasn't always been. There's this, these youngsters, you know, Smith Rowe and Saka clearly uh, closely bonded. Uh, some of the yeah, other players like Tierney, it does seem a more natural sort of band of brothers attitude 
um, towards uh, towards building a team, which is the energy that I, I've been long saying has been missing from Arsenal for a long, long time. They don't feel like a force together. They're, they're, they've always felt like individuals trying to outdo each other and how important they all are and how much they're trying. But that really felt like a unit, which... <laughs> Got a dog jumping up with a poster. Get down, shit. <laughs> so um so yeah um so yeah no that was amazing to see because because there was little evidence evidence of it before and if this is what the process is uh that, that Arteta keeps going on about then then perhaps it has got a chance um I still don't think they're quite good enough and the expectations have to be maintained because they haven't got good enough players but but the players they have got um, should be able to get them in contention for Europe again and at least moving in the right direction while a slightly better review of their recruitment policy you know, are going to make them into a force again. Um, but it's a long, slow process. But there are signs that perhaps a corner's been turned, so that's, so that's encouraging for them. Um, the counterpoint to that is is the absolute shocker on the other half of North London, of course. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So Tottenham, Tottenham just just gone past Arsenal on the way down towards the bottom half of the table. Not won a game in any competition since August, Tottenham. It's now nearly October. What they, they look like a team in free fall, and Kane, Kane's body language is poor. Obviously, what what what's going going wrong there? Yeah, Kane's body language, but it's interesting you say that. But looking just at the North London derby, um, and I think he was different. I think he'd made an effort for the North London derby. He was the player who led a few bedraggled uh, senior pros towards what was left of the away end. He was basically going to applaud the backs of fans leaving, um, the few that were still there. Um, but I do think, I mean, there was. <laughs> If you look at his North London derby, he missed an absolute sitter of a header from a corner just after Arsenal went three up, which he'd normally bury. He had another chance um, where Dyer put him through, and his first touch was the sort of world-class first touch that that you know we, we fate him for. And then he put his second touch just narrowly wide. Uh, and he also got kicked up in the air by Ben White for a, what should have probably been a penalty. So a different night. You know, we're writing stories. Harry Kane's back, hat-trick, you know, knocks back, you know, rampant Arsenal, et cetera, et cetera. Is this the turning point? It's not happening for him, though. I think he was trying, and it's not happening. And the reason it's not happening for him mainly is because there's not enough people, like-minded people with him, and he recognises that. He looks back at that team, and he he um, he's wondering where his Christian Eriksen's gone to, who can put the ball through to him. Um, he's wondering where the fullbacks are all back on the halfway line when – Tottenham's success was built initially on the fact that Danny Rose and first Carl Walker and then Kieran Trippier were the most adventurous fullbacks in the Premier League. Liverpool took the same tactics and won the league with it. Tottenham just let it wither away. He's got no Ericsson. Deli Alley's just a, is too has been drummed into him how much he's got to defend. So the freedom that Ali used to roam around him and find spaces around him has gone. Uh, and then he looks at the back two and thinks it doesn't matter if I score anyway. The chances are we'll concede three because we've got instead of having Jan Vertonghen and Toby Alderweireld with you know a hundred caps each uh, and and enough knowledge of to close out a game, we've got Eric Dyer who's very hit and miss, and Davinson Sanchez who's you know seems to have just completely had his confidence eroded uh, by Jose Mourinho. Um, 
that's what he's looking at. That's why his body language seems poor because he's looking around him and thinking, where's my team gone? Uh, and this is why I wanted to go. And I get, you know, I'd carried this team for long enough and you've just dismantled it behind me. Um, and the fact that those are real problems. Um, yeah, Spurs aren't good enough anymore to play in that stadium. Spurs aren't good enough to go in every day and have the privilege of training in that training ground because they are the best quality, Champions League quality facilities. And what's left of a team is struggling to qualify for Europe. Uh, and only just, you know, it's conference, European, Europa Conference League. They've had to invent a whole new competition to keep Spurs in Europe. Um, and, you know... It, it's a pale shadow and, and the recruitment's got to be better and the management's got to be better and the management's got to be more dynamic, which is a big problem. Yeah. There's no energy coming from the manager. You know, that seems to just sap anything that, that there is out of the club. Uh, and the whole thing is a total mess at the moment uh, and it needs new life breathed into it. And we're in a between transfer windows. So there's only one position that they can change. Uh, and you know, <laughs> the points being made that Pochettino's start. He had, you know, he's got nine points from his first six games. Pochettino only had eight and he and he turned it around, but it's a different environment and we're on a different curve. And and if we basically go back and say Spurs are back where they were when Pochettino started, then the battle's already lost because they should be way ahead of that. Uh, and to be comparing this team to that team eight years ago, you know, it's it's all been frittered away. It's six games. It's six Premier League games. You want to imagine this? You sound on it. You're like on that. What's that preposterous sort of statement from the Tottenham Hotspur supporters trust? We demand a meeting to say we need the short-term and long-term vision of this club. We need to know how you're going to restore our DNA. DNA, they haven't won the league for 60 years, for goodness sake. DNA doing what? Not winning stuff. Problem. goodness sake, pal. It's like they've had six games. They've beaten Manchester City. They've got nine points. They average 10 points. 10.4 points from their opening six games of the last 10 seasons. He's got nine points. I mean, honestly, I, I, it just, it's this this demand. We demand to know where we're going. We demand to know your strategic vision. You've just you've got the best stadium in the country. You've just kept, and my view is completely wrongly. You've you've kept against his will a hundred million pound striker. You've got quality players throughout the team. You've got a great goalkeeper. You've got Son. You've got. I mean, honestly, I I just find the sense of almost entitlement is absolutely preposterous. Absolutely preposterous. Like you know, you should be this. You should be that. I'm, I'm sorry, but Spurs have had a, a tricky start to the season, but you know it's not the biggest disaster in the world right now. And 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 basically, they're calling for the manager to be. I, 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 I mean, I don't get it, perfectly honest with you. I, I just think it, it is the modern day way that the a team has nine points from six games, and it's all going in the wrong direction. Just on the letter, Andy, the, the counterpoint to the letter. Back when Daniel Levy was eager to jump into bed and and um, with the ESL and, mm-hmm. and played one of the top twelve clubs in Europe, um, his olive branch to the the Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust um, was he he graciously agreed to a face to face meeting with them um, back in the summer to explain the background and they knocked that back out and said we don't want to talk to you we just want you gone so this is the counterpoint to that this is a complete 
breakdown in trust there. Yeah, Levy thought that at the time, oh, I'll give them a, I'll give them the time of day, and that should see them off. Whereas actually, no, they they're it's more deeply in battle than that. So that's the counter. So them suggesting amazing automatically makes you think of that other situation. Um, uh, and Levy was begging them for a meeting, and then they wouldn't have it. So now, and then they're asked, they're saying, well, let's have this meeting. Then that, that's the background to that. Mm-hmm. And the expectation is the expectation that Levy's built. Why do you need, you know, to come back to another example of the same sort of visionary kind of ambition? Jeremy was in the heart of it. Bradford City built a stadium, um, which they've never filled. You know, they've got a magnificent facility there, but because the team wasn't good enough, it's never been filled. West Ham, for years, moved to the London Stadium in a vision to build a club that had regular Champions League football. And it's only now that Moisey's pulling off wondering, wondrous conjuring tricks and turning players into players that they never even realized that they were and finally, you know, scouring Eastern Europe for, for unpolished gems that they're beginning to play the sort of football that's worthy of the stage that's been given to them uh, by ambitious owners who see a shortcut to the biggest, the biggest clubs in the world. One of the top 12 in the, in the continent as Levy felt when he, when he was busy jumping into bed with Barcelona. Um, And that's the problem. The fans would have waited for the slow build project. That was Pochettino's five-year plan. The fact is he overachieved. They were only supposed to be reaching the Champions League um, at year five. They'd already been to the final by then. And then so Levy thinks, well, we're capable. We should be beating the whole of Europe now. We'll get Mourinho in because he's a man who does that. And, well, he didn't. And now he's saying, oh, I've got this wrong. We need to be entertaining, really, again. That's kind of the DNA. His words, he brought DNA into the narrative, not the fans. And he said, we'll do a man- We'll bring in a manager who'll go back to our uh, original DNA, and he brought in Nuno, and he's not done that either. And that's why the fans are annoyed. I don't think there is a sense of entitlement. I don't think there is a sense that they should be knocking all of sundry away apart from each other. It's the fact that a bit like Manchester United on the pitch – the whole club of Tottenham doesn't really know what it is, what it's doing and where it's going. And I think that's what's frustrating the fans more than anything. If they were playing better football um, in the, on, on the fringes of Europe with a view to maybe one day getting back into the Champions League, I don't think that many, that many Spurs fans would be disappointed. And hey-ho, if you could throw a cup in the midst of all that, they'd be delighted. I don't think there's in a sense of over-entitlement to Spurs. I think there's just a sense that of frustration that a great opportunity is being missed at the expense of this great stadium and, and great training ground that the club's got. I think I think also, just to pick up on Matt's point, if, if you want entertaining football, I'm not sure Nuno Espirito Santo is your man. <laughs> I mean, you know, any Wolves fan, I mean, or anyone, anyone who watched Wolves, I mean, the football they played, you know, towards the latter end, well, certainly throughout his time, that was affected, but pretty moribund. So, you know, to, to go from Mourinho to him is a, is a weird, weird fix. I, I I don't think he's the right man for Spurs, but as, Danny, as Andy says, you've got to give him time. You know, Arsenal fans were calling for Arteta's head after three successive Premier League defeats um, at the start of the season. No goal scored. Now look at them. Three three successive wins, you know, four if you include the, the League Cup. Um, you know, beating the North London rivals. They're back on track and everyone's, everyone's happy. So, you can make snap judgments at this stage, but you need to give managers time. You need to have a bit of perspective and, and see how things pan out over a number of weeks rather than, you know, over months rather than a couple of weeks. 
Dave, for a bonus point, um, Tottenham are playing in the Europa Conference League tonight. Can you tell me who they're playing? No. <laughs> <laughs> they are playing NS Mura. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Were you watching? <laughs> Uh, no. <laughs> but it do, I mean, it, it, I know we've sort of we've been a bit glib, but it feels like a big game for for Tottenham and for, especially for for Nuno because you know it just stopped the bleeding, wouldn't it? Yeah, I, I, it, yeah, it would. Um, well, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure it, it papered over any the, the cracks that, that, that Matt is outlining. Um, I think I think the big, you know, just going back to originally when we were talking about Harry Kane. I mean, that's a big issue, isn't it? I mean, I mean, I mean, the fact is, is the you know, I turn around and say, well, okay, the supporters should be happy. You know, Tottenham have got ambitions; they've kept their best player. Well, but on the other hand, I mean, let's face it, you know, they've kept the player who doesn't want to be there. You know, and and would it be more ambitious? Would it be more ambitious to take what money you can get for him and reinvest it in you know young hungry strikers? Or now you are just, you know, you've got a player there and every time, you know, they don't create chances or Kane doesn't score, it's going to be held up. For someone like Harry Kane, who we've all dealt with and known for many, many, many years, for him to sort of behind the scenes basically sort of sanction the stories that came out about him wanting to go, you know, it was clear that he really, really did want to go. And now he's there and things aren't working out. It's sort of like a... A self-perpetuating sort of story, isn't it? You know, well, Kane doesn't want to be there. He's not happy there. Matt turns around and says, "You know, where's Kane? We'll look around. Where's the team gone?" And it's just going to get worse, isn't it? I mean, I mean you know. Can so I ask I, I, you a question? If if Tottenham are just limping along come January and Kane's still, you know, moping around, yes or no? Would you sell him in January to the highest bidder? Yes, for me, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the problem is, from Kane's point of view, and again, something that must be sort of preying on his mind, he's got to be thinking, you know, if come January and he's had a, a rotten half of a season and say City are doing well, for example, you know, say City are top of the league and, and, and you know, uh, on course to qualify comfortably for the Champions League, are they going to want him again? You know, I mean, listen, he, he's, you know, it, relatively speaking, he's not young. In football, you know, that was, in a way, and I guess probably why he let it be known that he would go, is that that was a great window, a, a moment in time in his career for him to go. Now, everything else, it's like, well, hang on a minute, you know, are there going to be as many interested parties? But it answers your question. If someone comes in and says, I'll give you £100 million for Kane in the transfer window, if I was spares, I'll take it, yes. Dave, would you sell him? I, I would. I don't see any scenario in which Daniel Levy will sell him in January. Even even if Spurs are struggling, I just don't see that happening. And and those big money, big high profile moves. And let's be honest, that would be the you know one of the biggest moves. I mean, Grealish was you know the the British transfer record, hundred million for City this this summer. But came I think would probably eclipse that. Um, but I just don't see it happening. Um, I think if if anything's going to happen, it will happen next summer. But then of course you have to factor in next summer that Erling Haaland will be available because his release clause kicks mm-hmm. in. So you know suddenly Kane's value is stock. You know, falls because there are other options, cheaper options, younger options uh, available to, to the to the big clubs. So, yeah, I think um, Andy's right, and you know, it's it, it's the whole Kane situation is 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 feeding into this this 
um, demise at Spurs. You know, he's, 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 um, right. he doesn't want to be there. Um, and, and that transmits to the players, it transmits to the fans, it transmits to the performances. And I think that, that there's no getting away from that. That's that's where it all kind of emanates from. And I think that's that's something that you, you, you can't fix because, he, you know, he doesn't want to be there. He made that patently clear. He was held against held there against his will. I mean, I'm not trying to say he's a hostage, of course not. But you know, you know what I mean. He was he was kept at, um, um, you know, somewhere where he, he wanted to leave, uh, and and that's having a negative impact on on the rest of the club. So I, I don't see him moving in January, um, and I actually don't see him moving again from Spurs because I just think that you know what would it be thirty next next summer twenty nine thirty yeah twenty nine yeah you know I mean he's you know clubs like Manchester City Liverpool Manchester United will be looking at younger more dynamic strikers and I think maybe that, that ship has sailed for Harry Kane that yes or no sell him I think if he gets 100 million I, I don't think they'll get 100 million I mean they won't get 100 million next summer for him um, mm-hmm. if he get, if he gets offered 100 million in January he's as a businessman he's got to snap his arm off because they've either got a they've got a big decision to make and Dave's point is an interesting one um, people forget that Harry Kane's not the captain of Tottenham uh, Hugo Lloris's contract runs out in the summer there is a scenario where if Levy can convince him that A, he's as good as his word because Kane clearly feels let down, but B, he's going to get the right manager in place, spend the right amount of money building a new project, the same as Pochettino built, with Harry Kane with limited options elsewhere suddenly because of Haaland, because of his you know value. If he can be persuaded to say, be the one club man, help us build the new Spurs as captain, that might appeal to, to persuade him to stay if his uh, options yeah. to do Champions League elsewhere. Well, is, is there a man, manager manager on the planet Levy could attract to Tottenham which would make Kane change his mind and say, I want to stay and see out my career here? I think, yeah, I think there is. Um, the, 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 the two names, the, the one that's... See, the timing's slightly wrong. But I don't know if Gareth Southgate will be in charge of England after the next World Cup, either way, whether it goes well or badly. <laughs> and he is, with those facilities, with the right amount of investment, when he's looking for a club job, I don't, I don't think, with that Spurs Academy there, with young players coming through, I don't think that's a bad fit for him. So the timing's slightly off, but if that's the, the, the project that's sold to, to Kane or whatever, that within two years, perhaps Gareth Southgate might be there. And, and it might not work because he might not be a great club manager as, as good as he's been an international manager. He is one of the, the managers. You asked me which managers would do it. I think Southgate would do that for Kane. Um, the other intriguing op- chance would be uh, a Pochettino, but then he would arrive back at the club as damaged goods because the only reason he'd be available next summer is if PSG have been rubbish, in which case you question whether he can do it again because he was never really given the chance to. Aside from that, it, you know, somebody might emerge. There's various managers. In Thomas Tuchel, you wouldn't have mentioned that necessarily, but he's been the galvanizing effect. He could come in and do it. There are managers out there who could do it with the right investment, w- with the right hands. That's, but uh, this is all what's if. I think, Kane's plan A will always be to move to a team that could win the Champions League, to move to a team that could win the Premier League or, you know, even abroad. I think he prefers to stay in England. But that's now the option. For Levy, he's either got to persuade Kane to stay forever and be the one club man 
or sell him when he can get the most money. And if he can't get money for it as much, if he can get as more money in January than he thinks he'll get in the summer, then he's got to go in January because Levy's in charge of the club. He, you know, he's running a business. Um, he's made that clear. So yeah, that there is two options. You either keep him as an asset or you sell him at the highest price. But if, Levy, if, if Levy wasn't going to sell him to Manchester City in this summer, why would he sell him in January? Don't see how he's so stubborn. Because next summer he will have won't get anywhere near the. Again, it's got to be the right price. He's not going to sell him yeah. for a knockdown fee. Uh, January sales, uh, MFI January sales kind of bargain price. He'll, he'll want to get if he thinks he can get more money than he can when he's only got two years on his contracts next summer. Then he needs to sell him in January. No, I just because don't see it. It's so, not working. That's the point. It's not working. Kane yeah. came. It's not working. You know, he's not the asset that he thought he was unless he can change that mindset um, uh, and the mindset of the team around him and everything else and probably the manager. So, yeah, you, you've either got to make one, you've got to make a choice, um, keep him as an asset or get as much money for him as you can. Yeah, just before I touch on England, I just, while we're talking about great strikers, um, it, obviously it's been a sad week in the sense that we lost Roger Hunt, the Liverpool and England legend, um, World Cup winner. Some of the numbers around him uh, are pretty, pretty amazing, really. Uh, treated like a god on uh, on, on Merseyside. Um, sad, sad sort of moment, seeing him lose, lose his life and... You know, another one of the World Cup winning team of '66 that's, that's left us. Yeah, I think that's now. I mean, it was, yeah, it was it was a very very tragic loss, and, and you could see with the tributes, the, the esteem which was held, not just by Liverpool fans but, but football fans in general. You know, he was he was such a iconic figure, and, and and by all accounts, you know, a real gentleman. I mean, mm. I love the story about the '66 World Cup. All, all the players saying that you know, when Jeff Hurst oh, shot, yeah, yeah did, did or did it not go over the line. Roger Hunt's reaction was to sort of run back to the halfway line and cheer, and because they knew it was over, because he was such an honest guy, he was he was so straight up and honest that you know had it not gone over, he would have he would have called it. Um, yeah, you were right, Crossy. I mean, look at it. Look at his stats. Is it? Am I right? Two hundred forty-four league goals for Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, when you look at say the Motley or look at Rooney, who scored I think two hundred fifty-three for Manchester United in all competitions. And he's Manchester United's leading goal scorer of all time. I mean, Roger Hunt's only nine short of that were just league goals. I mean, yeah. Rooney, Rooney played for what thirteen seasons at Manchester United. So, look, I mean, and, and again, we yeah, you know, I'm loath to do comparisons with players from different eras, and we, we all are because the pitches are different. Um, you know, the, the facilities are different. You know, there weren't as many subs, subs back then. You know, it was a different era, different game. But I mean, to score that amount of goals. Um, yeah. what, what a player he was, and you know, I, I'm, you know, I, I didn't get to see him in his in his pomp, obviously, but you know, by all accounts, looking at the footage, he was one hell of a player, and and even more so, um, an, an incredible gentleman. So very, very, very sad news. Yes, who needs VAR when Roger Hunt's around, eh? Yeah, I'll tell you what, if, if I could just come in here because because uh, I, th- I think you know, never mind the stats and stuff, you, you know, which are impressive. But if you speak to any Liverpool supporter of that generation, and my father is a is a staunch Liverpool supporter. And, and you ask him about, you know, all-time great players and Roger Hunt's up there. Billy Liddell, actually, from an earlier generation, is probably up there as well. But Roger Hunt will always be revered by that generation of Liverpool fans because 
Liverpool in the sixties, don't forget. I know we have very, very short memories, and, and people forget that, that you know they were they were a second division side early sixties. You know, and and Roger Hunt was there and got them into the first division um, to start with, and then won the title. But the holy grail for Liverpool, you know, which was a great year, was the FA Cup. The FA Cup was more important. You know, they, they never won the FA Cup, and of course. Um, Roger Hunt scored the first goal in that 2-1 win over Leeds in the 65 Cup final. And in a way, that sort of built the foundations for the modern-day Liverpool. That, 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 that elevated them to another level. And, you know, he will always, again, it's worth just speaking to, there's not many around, fans of that generation. And Hunt will always be up there. And I was lucky enough to meet uh, Roger Hunt on, on several occasions at golf days. He used to play at my club a, a little bit. And, and the be we used to play in sort of some um, sort of charity golf days, and the, and, and the more modern, um, the more recent Liverpool legends would be there: Kenny Dalglish, Alan Hansen, people like that, and they'd be mixed at the bar. And in the corner, Roger always, and he always played with Gordon Banks. And the two of them used to sit in the corner having a cup of tea after golf, and and you know, and no one knew, you know. I mean, Roger Hunt never got recognised. I mean, this is a guy who played all six games for England in in, in a World Cup winning team. You know, this is a guy, you know, who was top league scorer for Liverpool and went off um, to, to carry on his family's haulage business, you know, when, when he finished playing. It, it's it's an era that's inconceivable. And literally, he could walk around my golf club, Roger Hunt, you, you know, a World Cup winner. And, and, you know, a guy who, and don't forget, when we talk about whether Jimmy Greaves should have played or not, Ramsey made it clear that the choice would have been between Greaves and Hurst, not between Greaves and Hunt. Yeah. And and this is a guy who could just you know amble around. I mean, I mean, honestly, I swear, if he walked around the streets, you wouldn't have known him. And that's just a, a telling thing. But but again, just just quickly, just speaking to any Liverpool fan of that era, and there's there's no one more revered. Andy, I bet you can't walk around your golf club without getting recognised, can you? That's true. <laughs> <laughs> you know, every pond. Every pond. <laughs> the bunker, so that's why no one sees him. <laughs> Matt, um, it's. Um, a big day for Southgate. He names his latest England squad uh, in a few hours' time. Um, will there be any surprises? Uh, do you see any shocks coming, or will it be this? You know, I mean, there's a few. Obviously, there's a few injured. Trent Alexander-Arnold, Maguire is Mount going to be fit? Probably not. Um, is, will he? Will he pull off a shock? Will he pick anyone we didn't see? I'm intrigued when. As we've been talking about him earlier, Curtis Jones is obviously not. Yeah. Yeah, you know, he's had six games for the under twenty ones. When does Southgate see him as a senior player? Um, because he's not frightened of giving these players a chance to 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 see whether they can cut it at the highest level. Um, you know, they're they're three. I mean, effectively, we're in the World Cup. You know, no one's going to say that within the England setup. We've got to actually get over the line. But but a lot of the hard work's been done. We need already to be looking at players who are going to help us next November. Um, in these internationals and with these squads and these get-togethers there are only so many of them because the fixtures are crammed into smaller get-togethers there's actually fewer opportunities to get to know some of these players Uh, and you know that would be just on current form the intriguing one as to whether he feels now's the time to to blood him Um, or whether you know He's spoken to Klopp because it will be done with Liverpool. Klopp will know, like we said before, he's clearly managing him in terms of exposure. So, so that's the one I'll be looking out for. I think to mm-hmm. Klopp. I, I, I think up front will be interesting. You know, I mean, I mean, not to dwell too 
long on Harry Kane, but you, you know, England cannot allow themselves to become the Harry Kane team. There's got to be an alternative to Harry Kane. And you know what? I, I mean, I, I, I suspect not, but I would, I, I would not be averse to giving Tammy Abraham a shout. He's been scoring a few goals, hasn't he, for Roma? He's done you know, well. I mean, takes take a bit of backbone to go over there and, yeah. you know, to play um, in Syria and to go and join Jose Maria over there. I don't know. I, I just, I, I'm just concerned that, that England, you, you know, I mean, I mean the Harry Kane. Tony? Sorry? Ivan Tony's done well at Brentford. <sighs> Yeah, 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 possibly. possibly. Yeah, like I, mean, I mean, you think that whoever he brings in is always going to play second fiddle. It's like when, when, when like, you know, I mean, what's he going to do with Bamford? Like, you know, and, and Bamford's never going to be, I, I, I just think they, they need alternatives. But I agree. I think I think Matt's a good shot with Curtis Jones. I, I'll, I'll just You're also forgetting Mason Greenwood. You know, it was, it was left yeah. out of the, of, of, the, of the Euros. Obviously, he missed the Euros through injury. I think he was left out the last squad. You, you, you boys might have better than me, but I think it was to focus on, on, on United. But he scored, yeah. I think, three goals this season. Okay, he's not. He's, you know, United haven't played well the last, you know, few games. But he's had a pretty impressive start of the season. Yeah. And I think with his, you know, uh, pace, natural finishing ability, you know, two-footed. Uh, I, I'm not sure Southgate can sort of, you know, oh, he's, he's still young. But I mean, I think he, he needs to be uh, introduced into that squad sooner rather than later. So. I'd like to see Greenwood in the squad, but then again, same with Curtis Jones and Liverpool. You know, Southgate will be in dialogue with Oligar Solskjaer and, and they will come to an uh, uh, agreement over whether that's the best, uh, you know, scenario for that player at that time. But I think Greenwood is, you know, such a talented player that he needs yeah. the time before he becomes an England regular. Before we wrap it up, we've just got to do this. Um, and finally, and obviously we saw this amazing result in midweek in the Champions League where... Uh, the splendidly named Moldovan Minos Sheriff Tiraspol managed to somehow beat Real Madrid, the 13-time European champions, um, in Madrid of all places. Um, an amazing result, probably the biggest shock in Champions League history, maybe. Um, so I just want to ask each of you, what's the biggest shock you've ever experienced? And then let's keep it clean, boys, and stick to sport, yeah? <laughs> That's okay. Sure. Well, I mean, I, I thought long and hard about this. Shock's difficult, but I think just for sheer drama, um, I mean, you're talking about an event we've, we've been at or something we've covered. I mean, it yeah. had to be Manchester City winning the league. I mean, well, that, in, in the Guerrero's goal, because that will never, ever be beaten, I don't think. In, you know, in terms of the, the, the drama, in terms of the two clubs involved, you know, fierce local rivals, Manchester United thought they'd won it. You know, there's all that, that footage of Sir Alex Ferguson and the players up at the Stadium of Light having beaten Sunderland 1-0, believing that they've won the title and, and, and Pip City to it. And then, of course, City come from 2-1 behind, you know, with two goals and added time, and Aguero's in the 93rd minute. So I think for, for sheer drama, um, you know, and, and shock value and, um, you know, upset value, I don't think you can beat that ever. I don't think the Premier League will witness anything as dramatic as that ever again. And it was worth being there just to see the look on Mark Ogden's face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest of the Manchester United uh, press supporting press back, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. That for me, that's, that's the biggest one. Sorry, man. And the biggest shot. Um, well, you know, I mean, just just quickly on the on the upsets against Real. I mean, if if you read the background to um um to Sheriff Tirasol, it's 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 you know it's an interesting background. Let's put it that way. They may not be as as plucky and as underdoggy as you might think. No, my my biggest. You know what, my. My biggest shock was, was when I went to I was at university in York, and in the in the last year, uh, nineteen eighty five, I went to see York City versus Arsenal, 
And York City beat them with a penalty from Keith Houchin, who obviously yeah. went on to score an FA Cup. And it was just, it was just, one of, it was one of the great occasions. It was like they were third division York, you know. I mean, put together on two bob. Arsenal came, Charlie Nicholas, etc. It was a freezing cold day. Um, I'd like to say I bunked off sorts of studying, but I wasn't doing much studying anyway, to be perfectly honest with you. And I, I was I was halfway up on floodlights. It was that cold. It was unbelievable. You got the bovril at half time, you sort of poured it over your hands rather than drink it. So uh, it was that cold. I was I'd say it was halfway up a floodlights. I, I met Chris Bonnington up there um as as it happened. He was scaling that. It was absolutely the game should never have gone ahead. Never have gone ahead. Don Howe was Arsenal manager and basically said, Listen, give the referee a brandy and a cigar and let's have the afternoon off. They didn't, they played. And York somehow won, you know. I mean, I remember see, I remember Tony Woodcock was playing, uh, Charlie Nicholas, who else were in that team. I remember Houchin and um, Keith Walwyn, I think, were up front for, for York. And it was just one of the great occasions. I think they played Liverpool um, later on in the competition. And I think they drew against Liverpool and then got thumped 7-0, I think, um, a 7-0 um, hiding in the replay. But it just reminded me, it reminded me of Bootham Crescent, I think, which closed down recently, didn't it? I, I yeah, think, they uh, moved to a new stadium, yeah. Yeah, they moved to a new stadium. And that was one of the original, I remember it got renamed Kit Kat Crescent. And, and you know, one of the, so it was like crying shames. But yeah, that was my, my, my probably my, my biggest shock that, that, that I've seen. You know, a, a good old fashioned, um, well, third division club turnover who were then sort of like, you know, um, aristocracy of the football. Matt? I think in with an upset, I, I think it helps if you actually like the underdogs as well. They're not mm-hmm. just underdogs; they're popular. There's something about them. Uh, and in tennis, I'll remember um, uh, Nadal losing to Nick Kyrgios for the first time. This young Australian kid, um, who uh, that was a fantastic day at Wimbledon um, because it was just full of all the exuberance and the sort of street tennis that. That, that sport desperately needed at the time. Um, Dustin Brown, likewise, when he, uh, with his dreadlocks, uh, came, you know, hit, uh, seeing those in the grassy uh, on the lawns at Wimbledon was was another fantastic experience and breathed life into the whole sport. But, but I think the beauty of a football upset is when it just keeps getting more and more surreal. So the recent one of that that I'm reminding of is um, when Crawley... Uh, scored an early goal against Leeds and you thought, oh, okay. And then they scored again and then they scored again. And that sort of build up thing. But by the same token, but it's another Leeds one the other way round, back in their remarkable Champions League campaign. How many have you got, Donny? <laughs> Sorry. How many have you got? I'm, I'm, going, to I'm going to use them all. This is the last one because it's particularly personal one. Um, <laughs> and it wasn't the big names that they beat that year. Um, it was it was Anderlecht who hadn't been beaten in their own stadium, uh, and Leeds scored once, and then they scored twice, and then they scored again three nil by halftime. Ended up winning four one. But the best bit was that earlier in the day, Jeremy and I had been part of one of those hideous canings for a press team by by the Anderlecht press when we were two nil down at halftime. <laughs> three of their players walked off at halftime and said they had work to do. Um, because it our roughhouse tactics, uh, we still managed to lose the game five nil, playing the second half against eight men. There's a reason for it, though. There's a re- there's a mitigation. Yeah, there was the beer had been taken the previous night. Yeah. yeah. Well, so they went down to eight. They didn't bring they three went, on. No, no, no. 
three of them said, we haven't got any subs, but we've got work to do. They went down to eight men and the second half, yeah, extended their lead from 2-0 to 5-0 in the second half. So to see those glum faces around the press box that night when Leeds were giving them a proper footballing lesson uh, made, made it all the more enjoyable. But uh, but those are my lot, Dave. I'm sorry if I've kept you from your walk. No, no, what I was, was going to say, Danny, is that if we're going to be um, straying away from football, you can't get a bigger shot than Emma Raducanu winning the US Open. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sadly I wasn't there. I was I was sticking yeah. to the ones that I was there for. Oh uh, yeah, but in terms of sporting shots. Yeah, no, that was incredible. I mean to, to come through three qualifiers, you know, unseed I mean the first yeah. qualifier to ever win a Grand Slam. I mean it's just mind blowing. Because it's years still. go on we'll we'll grow to we'll grow old and appreciate it. Just what an amazing phenomenal performance. Yeah. yeah. Okay, guys, we're going to have to wrap it up there. So thanks, uh, everyone, for listening in and watching in. And thank you to the guys, David, Andy, and Matt. Hopefully we'll see you all next week. But thank you. Goodbye.